Oh, the news. Sometimes it can get a bit confusing. Other times you want to talk about it and it feels like no one else wants to. There's a podcast out there that talks about things like foreign policy, current events, anything and everything that has happened in the news in the past week. And we're highlighting it on today's edition of Podcast of the Day. So stick around. I'm your host, Grant, and uh, let's, let's get started. Arbitration is the podcast of the day today. It's put on by a news organization called Arbitrer, um, and it's spelled A-R-B-I-T-R-O-R, and you can find them at arbitrer.org. Um, and their mission is to um, observe, and it's Arbitrer is actually Latin for eyewitness. Um, so their, their whole mission is to observe from a different perspective, and that perspective is from a younger generation's standpoint. Um, and essentially, it, it takes a critical look at some of the new happenings in the news and uh, puts an opinion on it or just a general analysis over it. And it has been a really interesting um, thing to look through. And I was looking through there, and I found they have a podcast. And that is called Arbitration, as I said earlier. And uh, it is pretty much a wrap-up of the week in news. And it's um, their take on, on the week's news, foreign policy things that have happened, international uh, news that has happened, all sorts of things. And um, it gets um, tons of insight from all of their in-house writers um, and other guests that come onto the show as well. So it's a nice blend of just... Um, different people talking about different topics that have happened in the news. Um, meanwhile, kind of staying a little humorous. Um, and it's really just a nice hybrid uh, blend of everything from humor to the news and the seriousness of it. Um, and they do it really well. So Arbitration by Arbiter is the podcast. And let's jump into some clips to find out exactly what it's all about. Arbitration, Arbitrage Foreign Policy and Current Events Podcast. I am Sophia Froden, Editor-in-Chief of Arbitrage and the host of Arbitration. So one of the things that's pretty important about the Paris Accord uh, is that pretty much everybody signed on to it. However, it's linchpin by some of the great powers and the great emitters, the United States and China. Now, Trump has said we're going to pull from the Paris Accord, but I'm inclined to believe that's more of a political maneuver. Actually, pulling from the Paris Accord is something that, check me if I'm wrong, will take us several years in the first place. And judging by the pressure by, for that matter, private firms and individual states, I highly doubt this is going to be, for instance, a hard Brexit from the Paris Accord. Most likely, it's a political move to, you know, excite his base when his poll numbers are in the low 40s and late 30s. Adding on to that, um, the Paris Agreement was non-binding in the first place, which is upsetting, but, you know, that's the only way that you get all of these countries to sign on. Um, the second thing is that, as Drake mentioned, we don't actually withdraw from the Paris Agreement until I think it's the day after the 2020 election. Mm. And so technically we're still in it. How much that actually matters? Probably not a lot because the U.S. has already lost its moral high ground leadership, whatever you want to call it on this issue, not that we ever really had it in the first place. But the other thing to consider is that the industry backing of this deal hasn't changed. Uh, I mean, Exxon is in support of it. Other oil companies are, are in support of it. And companies are going to have to abide by some of these rules anyway, 
I mean, regardless of what the United States says, because they're going to have to do business with the rest of the world. Um, so here's an unpopular opinion coming. I'm a capitalist. Uh, I know that doesn't really fit in well with the current narrative of the young millennial. I'm very liberal, but I'm also very, very pro-capitalist as a result of living in a post-Soviet country for as long as I have, in addition to the fact that when it comes to environmental problems and, and a number of just general problems, but when it comes to environmental problems, market-friendly solutions are really the best solution and honestly the only thing that works, right? And the best evidence that I have for this to convince my fellow liberal compatriots that commoditizing the water market is a good idea is to look at the Paris Accord, which is commoditizing carbon, right? And the people, why people get so upset about it is because carbon or water is seen as, as sort of this non-good good, you know, this thing that you can't put a price on because if you did that, that would be inhumane. But as Drake once told me long ago, there are prices on food. There are prices on a number of things that you need on a day-to-day -day basis to survive. Why is water any different? I hope those clips kind of gave you a, a glimpse into how the podcast works. But anyways, they'll come on and have a roundtable discussion on different things that have happened. And it's really enjoyable for me, at least. I love hearing about the news, and I'm always open to hearing new ways to hear about it. So this was a cool way and um, a, a nice glimpse at the news that has happened um in the past week or so um so yeah that is that is arbitration um i'll put a couple more clips in and then later is an interview with some of arbitration's um members so stay tuned for that the uh the comparison that springs to mind for me is in the 19th and early 20th centuries there were massive campaigns by uh governments to emphasize the importance of of hygiene and and dealing with waste properly to people in, in major cities because these cities had huge populations that just cropped up practically overnight and disease was just rampant. And it's it was important for governments at that point to ensure that their people weren't gonna all get sick and die because one person failed to you know wash their hands or, or threw trash into a public well. I think it's possible to almost think of this as a sort of cyber hygiene or, or, or public hygiene for the internet age because it, the what allowed this, this hack to spread was exactly that it was a lack of hygiene of in, in a sense or a lack of cyber hygiene for people's laptops and computers um and yeah as sophia said it's important for governments and organizations to to emphasize hey that update it's annoying you have to restart your computer no one wants to deal with that but if you don't do it you're actually putting like a ton of people at risk and in the case of the nhs like literally putting people's lives at risk if you don't simply run an update um perspective is just a matter of trying to convince people that this is a matter of sort of a public good. And it's weird to think about updating your computer as a matter of a public good, but it is in, in the age that we're living in. This was really sudden, it was really out of the blue, and it, it plays into the you know very well-developed narrative at this point that Trump isn't a stable decision maker. You know, there's a, not that Trump on y'all's territory, but there's an idea in, in international relations that you have to assume that the person you're dealing with is a rational actor, because otherwise you, you, huh? Sorry, people are not rational. I hate that. No, but he's I, right. He's right about the IA stance as well. Yeah, but it's so epistemologically. I, we're not going to go into that. That's that's the discussion to have when we have Kyle Lascaretz on this episode. But Kyle. Well, we're, not, we're not, no, I, people are not rational. It's the same problem with economics. You can't just assume that. I'm going to point out that you accused me of using big words earlier and you just pulled out epistemological on us. So. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> my my point my point was is um, 
actually, I lost my point, but the point I think I was making is that, right. um, I I think it just, it, the reason why I, I, the reason why I've sort of justified mentally the outrage on the left um, at the fire of Comey is it, it just, it seems like it was very sudden. It doesn't, doesn't seem like it was reasoned through. It wasn't discussed and it's Trump going off half cocked yet again like and and given the fact and especially given his recent comments about how he was explicitly thinking about the uh the uh russia investigation when he fired comey i mean it it just it's a question of motives again i think it's what this whole conversation is about is what what was the president thinking when he made the decisions that he did now next up is a interview with a couple of different people from the staff of arbiter um sophia fruden uh hannah lizadar and um alex kramer all joined me to talk about arbiter and specifically arbitration and how it's gone so far by the way i hope i pronounced your names right um i i, I think i did pretty sure i did i practiced them but if i didn't i'm so sorry anyways here's the interview hope you enjoy so my name is Sophia Freuden. Um, I am the editor-in-chief and founder of Arbiter, which is the host publication of Arbitration, our podcast. Um, I am also currently a Fulbright English teaching assistant stationed in Kazan, Russia, which is a city uh, just a few hundred miles east of Moscow. Um, and um, speaking from my own perspective of what Arbiter is and, and why I founded it, um, basically it started as a personal uh, a personal project of mine two years ago, actually, uh, shortly before I decided to study abroad, I wanted to have a blog to document my experiences. Um, but I also wanted to work on that blog with other people. I didn't want it to be sort of your standard run-of-the-mill study abroad blog. Um, but unfortunately, during college, um, I was too busy to, to maintain that actively with my other uh, writers. And so mm-hmm. it kind of fell out of, out of use for a bit. Um, and then when I graduated, uh, we all, you know, lapsed into that sort of existential crisis of, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? Like (laughs) I did for, I don't like, you know, over a decade now, and now I'm not a student. I don't know what to do. Um, And so I wanted to use that, that publication that I had as, as an outlet for intellectual uh, development. But at the same time, there was all of this crazy stuff happening with the 2016 U S presidential election and Brexit um, and a a number of global events. Um, that was culminating in this in this broad discussion of not only you know the future of politics and policy and you know Republican Democrat whatever, um, it's it was also a discussion of how do we talk about information, how do we digest information, what is journalism today in this globalized world where there's so much you, to consume you can basically cherry pick the information that you get, um, and basically what I was no- noticing. Um, out of all of it was just a lot of distrust towards the media, a lot of distrust towards governmental public, uh, governmental institutions and organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to have this sort of, um, I don't, I don't want to call it completely authentic, but a different take on journalism that is that is conscious of what it's doing as sort of the fourth a fourth estate. It's conscious of the fact that there are these problems in society. It's conscious mm-hmm. of this distrust. And specifically, I wanted to combine this element of young scholars, this element of here are this group of really qualified individuals who know what they're talking about. You know, it's not just the CNN effect. It's not rooftop journalism. These people are qualified to talk about what it is they talk about um, and are really invested in their fields and invested in the future. So all of that combined, that was arbitrary, revamped, rebooted, um, ready to go in summer of 2016. And now, almost a year later, we started Arbitration, our podcast. And maybe someone else wants to take the, the talking stick and talk about Arbitration. <laughs> Um, yeah, I can do that. Um, okay. So, so we, 
the reasoning behind arbitration wasn't the reason reasoning behind starting it wasn't terribly complex. It was basically, oh yeah, we should we should probably do a podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And and the re- I mean the reason why it makes sense for what we're doing is if we're trying to engage in sort of uh, a, a greater connection with the world and taking advantage of all the resources available to people like us, young people who are on the internet who have access to the globe you know, through a laptop, uh, it only makes sense to do something like podcasting, which is such a great way to meet, you know, reach out to so many different people and start so many different conversations. Um, and in particular with our, with our setup, with uh, the contributors that we have, all, a bunch of people with all these different interests who have, you know, many of us know each other previously, a lot of us, most of us hopefully are friends. So because of that, because we have our own areas of expertise, but we have a lot of uh, overlap in terms of interests, Mm-hmm. Um, getting together on a weekly basis to talk about current events, to share knowledge, and to hopefully get that knowledge out to the rest of the world. Um, it just fits so perfectly with the, the podcast format uh, and in terms of our, our goals as, as, an, as a journalistic outfit of, of trying to, to reach the world and, and keep governments accountable and, and engage with current events from a particularly a perspective of, of young folk. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, oh, and also I should probably do my bit about who I am. Um, <laughs> so I, I joined Arbiter uh, June 2016, right around the time when Sophia was getting it off the ground. Um, recently, I became a member of the the board of of director. Should I not mention that, Sophia? Uh, no, I, you I should have asked. That's um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I recently became part of the the board of directors uh, after contributing for the past year or so. Um, I'm actually about a month away from completing a program at the University of Cambridge. Um, yeah, I, I fin- finished a four-year degree in the States, won a scholarship to come over here for two years, and I am very nearly done with that. Um, I'm studying history, which is what I studied in my undergrad in the States. But mm-hmm. in terms of my writing for Arbiter, um, my main focus is on sort of, I guess you'd call it the rural beat um, after <laughs> all of this stuff. That's the best word for it. <laughs> um, after I think it actually beats when you say that. Wait, like that's <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> um, so I, I mostly what I focus on for writing for Arbiter has been upon um, trying to get at that rural view of politics, specifically because I grew up in a rural area in, in Oregon, the Willamette Valley. So I have sort of a personal stake in that. Um, and then as far as Arbiter goes, it's... I mean, it's it's an amazing opportunity to do that. And arbitration, for me, it's in particular really great because I've wanted to do podcasting for like years now, literally. So, um, so the fact that I get to do it with a bunch of people who have you know a lot of great chemistry, who have great conversations, and who have a lot of interesting things to say, it's uh, yeah, it's it's been a really great opportunity. That's awesome. So I'm Hannah Rizatter, and I graduated from Lewis and Clark College in 2016 with an IA Bachelor of Arts. Um, my passion's in international affairs. I'm now a paralegal in Portland, um, and that's really cool, and I'm hoping to eventually go to law school. Um, for Arbitrar, I'm a contributing editor and a variety of other things, I think in terms of social media and podcasting and a little bit of everything. It's really fun. Gotcha. Um, and I started around the same time Alex did, I think, at Arbitrar. And um, 
I was having one of those kinds of existential crises after crises. Right. <laughs> after, <laughs> there, are, there are many. After um, finishing school and suddenly not having a place to put my passion anymore because I'm really passionate about international affairs theory and global order and the state of the, the biggest systems that we have around. Um, and Sophia came along and was like, hey, do you do Archer? And I was like, um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's how I got here. <laughs> That's awesome. Did you know what Arbitrary was going to be? Like, did you expect it to be what it is today, you think? Yes and no. Um, I obviously couldn't predict exactly where it was headed. Um, I did have, you know, again, this, this idea of a globally minded sort of uh, modern and uh, flexible publication mm -hmm. that was involved in a number of multimedia projects such as podcasting or live streaming or social media or, or what have you. Um, so that general idea I did have in mind, right? And I did know that I wanted it to be sort of policy and politics centered. Um, we do have pieces that, that sort of divulge outside of that realm, but that's sort of our bread and butter is, is within the policy sort of spectrum. But beyond that, you know, uh, we've had developments come along, we've had contributors with great ideas come along that, that still, fit within, still fit within that theme, but have de developed it in different ways beyond that. Um, and, you know, we're, we're looking at developing contacts in Portland over the summer, because I'm going to be in Portland, Hannah will be in Portland, and act actually all three of us will be in the Portland area over the summer, in addition to a number of other contributors. We're looking to get involved with the community that way, and then from there, branch out. Awesome. Um, and so, yeah, to answer your question, yes and no. Now, I guess broadening out a little bit, what made you guys all get into, I guess, talking about the news and international affairs and domestic affairs and everything in between? Uh, that's, I'm going to quote Alex and say that's a dangerous question. That's a dangerous question. <laughs> Hannah, do you want to be the sacrificial lamb for this question? Sure. Well, um, I guess it started with school for me. Um, my dad is also a writer, so I had a bit of interest in just writing in general. Um, but then I found some sort of strange and surprising passion for international relations um, via our wonderful professor Cyrus Partovi um, from Lewis and Clark College who I don't know what he did I think he cast some sort of magic spell upon me or something <laughs> made a little wand and all of a sudden I was hooked and uh, I've, I've not been able to stop paying attention to foreign policy and uh, the relationships that states have with each other as as entities <laughs> because especially they State, nation states tend to act like kindergartners, and I just think it's a really fun thing to study. Totally. <laughs> That's a short way to put that. <laughs> would, you, would you guys agree? Yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah, yeah broadly. Kindergartners is accurate, I would say. <laughs> I mean, kindergartners are nuclear weapons, so let that sink in for a second. Okay, but only a couple of them have nuclear weapons. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> enough. Oh, one is enough, right? Like, it's just like, it just takes one. That's all it takes. <laughs> Are you guys all sort of pinpointed across the globe, kind of? Yeah. Yeah? yeah? Okay. Has uh, that... that was intentional. Intentional? Gotcha. Yeah, it was intentional. Unfortunately, I think that after, after this year, a lot of us are, are, for whatever reason, condensing back into the U.S., which is kind of ironic if you consider everything that we just said in the last five minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we have a number of people in Portland right now. 
Um, I'm trying to think. We have a number of people on the East Coast. I know Kenzie's in New York. There's Steph and myself in Russia right now. Jessica, uh, Jessica just went somewhere. She just left for some Israel. Uh, Jessica's in Israel right now. I mean, we have two people on vacation right now. We have Julian's on vacation in Europe and Jessica's on vacation in Israel. Um, they're not permanently or, or, or for a long, they're not long-term stationed in those locations. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, we're spread across like eight different time zones, I want to say, in three different continents. So that's why we decided to have this on a Saturday. <laughs> well, I think that's such a cool dynamic and definitely, I would say, helps you in the whole international game. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Hopefully it doesn't hurt us. <laughs> I volunteer to go abroad next. <laughs> I, you take it, Hannah. I want to go, go home so bad. I miss my nice green valley very badly. You can, we can switch places. Okay. <laughs> Do you think it's provided a perspective on your coverage of certain things that otherwise you wouldn't have? Yes, being absolutely. all spread across everywhere. <laughs> Definitely, I think. Yeah, um, for as you're speaking as someone who's not only abroad, but I'm abroad in a very specific country right now, mm -hmm. uh, given everything that's happened in the past year and a half or so, it's been a roller coaster of an experience uh, being in Russia right now. Um, and as a, just of course, in general, because this is my second, this is my second time living in Russia. I, I lived in, well, studied abroad in Russia two years ago for four, four months, like very standard, off, you know, very standard study abroad experience as far as that goes. But both times, you know, you you gain an in-depth knowledge of what's going on within the country, what people are talking about, what is being said. That's all said and and done and and very standard. But what's interesting is just given the sort of renewed tensions between the U.S. and Russia, not only over Crimea or Syria, but mm -hmm. now the, the 2016 election, it's been interesting to gain insight to this degree and to be so like my life and what I'm doing as a Fulbrighter is so very relevant to all of this. And that's been a meta experience, to say the least. I, I, I feel like I'm living this thing that I've been studying for the past four years. And that's you know, both terrifying and exciting. Yeah, I mean, for me living, I, I was um, in the UK in the lead up to the uh, referendum on Brexit. Mm -hmm. And then I was home when Brexit actually occurred. And I was talking with all the people I know over here after it happened. Um, and then I, and then I come back over here for the fall and then the U.S. election happens and I'm listening, talking to everyone back home about their responses to the U.S. election. So I've sort of like, had near misses on on like being actually directly present for two of the mo two of the biggest political uh, events of the last year uh, or last twelve months. Uh, at the same time, I've had contact with people who are directly impacted one way or the other. I have a, a friend over here whose family might lose their farm because they aren't going to get uh, EU subsidies anymore because the wow. UK government doesn't provide those and the uh, EU does. You know, and then at home, growing up on a farm and being around people of Hispanic descent or who aren't necessarily in the country legally, and then ha listening to their responses to the election of Donald Trump um, and the consequences that might have for them and their families. Um, yeah, being being abroad, and, and especially in, in the US and the UK, two of the places that have been most racked by political change uh, most recently, um, it's, been, it's been fascinating to, to see just how sort of fragile political systems are and, and how, how Making assumptions about things is bad. That's one thing yeah. I've taken away from this. Never, <laughs> never assume that you have a full grasp of what's going on. Definitely, if you think you're right about something, like 
give it give it some real like real second third you know fourth thought over just to be really certain about it um, and also seeing the direct direct reality of sort of uncertainty in people's lives um, especially I mean again a, a lot of people with brexit over here I know people who were going into the financial services or financial institutions after graduating Cambridge and now that brexit might happen those people might not be able to get a job because a lot of financial institutions might be bailing out of London because mm -hmm. if brexit occurs there's a lot that you know it's no longer as attractive as being located on the continent um, so yeah the the direct seeing the direct reality of what might otherwise be an abstract uh, political story has been very fascinating over the, the last 12 months if you want to go check out Arbiter and Arbitration, make sure you head over to Arbiter.org. That is A-R-B-I-T-R-O-R.org. And from there, you'll be able to find a podcast. Also, if you search for uh, Arbitration on any podcaster platform that you use, you'll be able to find it via the search as well. So make sure you look into it a bit more if you're interested. Definitely a cool take on the news. And it's interesting to hear some analysis um, as well of, uh, as different facts on the news. So um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I hope you did as well. Let me know what you thought by calling into the station and uh, let me know what you thought about it and whether you liked it, disliked it. If you have another podcast recommendation to give me, I would absolutely love to hear it. Um, and anything else you want to tell me, let me know. Um, but anyways, I will catch you tomorrow for a brand new episode of Podcast of the Day. But until then, make sure you check out some other stuff on Anchor. We're always making cool audio for your ears every single day. And yeah, so I'll catch you back here tomorrow for a brand new edition of Podcast of the Day.